Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, and I'll tell you tonight, we continue the series, Voices from Behind the Wall, the night Voices of the Innocent, those that have been wrongfully convicted, those that have suffered injustice at levels only we can think about. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Voices from Behind the Wall, the Voices of the Innocent. It takes off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the and uh, Samson Reynolds, about that, uh, and the entire AJC Radio team tonight. We're happy to be here to get into discussion uh, about a, a conversation that has to happen and has to continue happening as you think about the wrongful convicted. Their voices are one of the most important voices we must pay attention to, as injustice is across the really across the line. Uh, dealing with those who have been wrongfully convicted and the abuse behind that wall that they uh, are even suffering. And the main abuse, of course, is being locked up uh, when you actually shouldn't be there. Uh, we're going to address those issues tonight. And, uh, Samson, your thoughts on that? Oh, I can't wait to dig into this subject tonight, Lamont, because uh, I tell you what, the more research we do, the more we read, the more we find out, the more we realize exactly how lopsided this this system of injustice is in the United States. I mean, we have, we've seen case after case after case where people just either prosecutors or judges refuse to either admit or review the evidence that's that's put right in front of them. And we have people on death row that, you know, after they've been executed, oh, they were innocent the entire time. We have decade upon decade of people serving when they should be free walking the streets. And it's just, it's, it's an absolute travesty in this country that's supposed to be the best country in the world. No, absolutely right. Dennis, your thoughts? I agree 100%. I mean, when you think about, you know, again, we always talk about the uh, continual, you know, you know, exonerations, uh, over 2,270, if not more, and, and then 20,000 uh, 20, uh, years lost because of the wrongful convictions. And it's a sad thing to say, though, but it's, we, we got to do something. Tonight's going to be a good show. Uh, we're going to talk to people that have been wrongfully convicted, and they're going to share with us, you know, the pain. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I can understand being sent to prison for a crime that you did commit, but one that you didn't commit. Wow, that's that's a tragedy. And and joining us tonight here at the bottom of the hour, Fernando uh, Bermudez uh, is going to be joining us. He's been a guest on this show before, uh, but he's going to be talking about uh, what he suffered was sentenced 23 years to life for a crime he never committed. Uh, he had an actual alibi, uh, but it didn't spare him this sentence. He did the bulk of that. I'm going to let him share that story with you tonight. Folks, feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628. Uh, that's 646-200-0628. And uh, we're going to get into that conversation here uh, on the other side of the break. Some current news today, Bill Cosby, uh, actor, comedian, sentenced three to ten years and taken into immediate custody. Um Today, after that sentence was brought down, um, there's a there's a few things I'd say about this, and I'm going to say this as clear as I can say it. Uh, I believe in the Me Too movement. I believe in victims having their voice heard. I believe 
that women have rights to come forward and address issues uh, of sexual assault or any type of assault or acts of intimidation. Uh, we believe that here on AJC Radio. Just calls we have fought uh, to bring justice to those who have suffered uh, abuse. Uh, and, and, and so please be clear, that is our position. However, let me be clear on this point. Uh, the initial lady that came forward on Bill Cosby uh, had signed a non-disclosure years ago, took a paycheck from him uh, where to keep things just kind of whatever. And the fact that a judge unsealed that information in the, uh, in the situation where Bill Cosby is concerned, number one, speaks to our problem with our justice system. Secondly, this is why I don't believe the initial victim who came forward I believe is making a circus out of this situation with Bill Cosby. Now you tell me and you throw, you draw your own conclusion. If I'm a young woman that goes to the house of Bill Cosby, you allege he gave you medication, gave you some wine, you drunk it, you took it. Number one, that's insane all on its own. That stands all on its own. Nobody forced you to take medication. You took it. The problem I have with this particular young woman she went back to the residence of Mr. Cosby twice and took the same medicine, the same glass of wine, and no public place did you show up to. You showed up to this man's home. Not only did you do it again, you did left then. You said he apparently did this again. You come back a third time. A third time. I'm sorry, that doesn't stand to reason to me. A victim says, this happened to me, I want to stay as far away right. from a perpetrator, from a predator as they, they have announced that he is. I want to stay away from any person that scared me, I was uncomfortable, I was out of my mind. You do not go back. Well, Lamont, that's, how, that's how you know that she's a liar. Bottom line, she's a liar. No woman in her right mind would do that, that's insanity. I'm all for women's rights as well, I'm a woman, great, that's all special. But the bottom line is, if you're a liar, you're a liar. And what you end up doing is you have women out there who really have, have been through something, who've really been attacked, who've right. really been uh, treated badly, who will in the future not be believed because you came out lying, saying something happened to you when it didn't. That, I mean, none of that makes it, it doesn't even make common sense. No, I don't, I don't see how anybody in their right mind could believe that this woman was a victim of anything right. when she continued to put herself there time and time again. You weren't a victim. You were doing what you wanted to do, and you saw a payday, and you took it. That's the bottom line. Look, folks, we're going to tell it how it is. And, again, we, we need not uh, put our uh, – uh, what we believe in our position when it comes to protecting the rights of women, uh, the rights of victims. Our, our record speaks for itself. And what we've done on this radio show and to, to highlight those that abuse uh, women and do what they do, uh, we have no tolerance for that. But we're not going to sit back quietly – uh, because it's not politically correct when you're talking about. And look, if Bill Cosby, if Bill Cosby did those things that he did, he's got to be punished for it. Un nobody's taking any of that away. But you cannot. I believe the Me Too movement is too important to have people coming out saying, "Well, you know, I'm a Me Too. I'm a Me Too." Or you're either a victim. For the true victims who are part of the Me Too movement, we salute their their bravery, their courage, what they've done to come forward. And to say, look, I need my voice heard. I am all for that. But when you start putting holes in the story, when your story just not is not adding up, 
and you admittedly returned to Mr. Cosby's home twice after you said you were uncomfortable. Nobody forced you to get in your car, drive to his home, and here's the kicker. If he did what you said he did, he offered you medication a second time, a third time, and why? And you took it again and again? No, we, no, no. That that just does not add up. Samson, your thoughts? Yeah, and I'm just sitting here just listening to the, the feedback from everyone, and it, it just even if you knew nothing about the story whatsoever, which I mean I do, I've been following it, and and I, I definitely think that uh, Lisa made a great point in the fact that yeah. It, she she doesn't seem like a victim. She seems like somebody that saw a man that already had made himself a good name, a lot of money, and had a clear shot at a, at a great future, and she saw a payday. And it, it's happened – this isn't the first case of it, unfortunately, in, in the news. I mean, there are other cases of it. I think uh, what are the, the Mr. Kavanaugh, he's got his own accuser out there too. And as they've interviewed her, and there's been – Holes after holes after holes in her story. So it's like, again, like you said, and I completely agree with all those that are part of the Me Too movement. Absolutely, because you know what? Nobody deserves to be a victim. But there is a th- there is a line where you go from being victim to somebody like like this exactly an opportunist, a trophy yep. hunter. Yep. And I'll tell you what. And here's the kicker on the other side of that story. Make no mistake about it. She received money <laughs> from Mr. Cosby years ago. And that was, I believe, part of the disclosure agreement that this, is, this would never be uh, discussed. It would be done with. You took the money and bought whatever you bought. Don't come out telling me you're a victim. After returning three times to the same home that you said this, is, this thing occurred. I'm sorry. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a Harvard graduate to understand. Uh, that simply does not add up. And, uh, again, we're going to address the issues as they are. Other side of the break, folks, AJC Radio continues voices from behind the wall the voices of the innocent we get into that after this we'll be right back ladies and gentlemen can i ask you a question did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the united states I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay Call one 529 4252 It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today.
I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Columbine. Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more who they might have been. No more if we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now. Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 You can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Lame. Loser. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Yeah. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This is AJC Radio talking about voices from behind the wall. And we're back to have this this discussion tonight. The voices of the innocent uh, is something that we're looking at right now. And these are issues and things that have to be taken seriously. That why innocent people are locked up in prison, uh, wrongfully convicted. Their voice needs to matter. It seems to me that the voice of the innocent has gone silent because people simply do not care. Uh, tonight, we're going to be there with those voices. Last week, it was an honor uh, uh, to remember uh, the voice of Joyce Ann Brown, uh, the young lady uh, convicted in Texas uh, and suffered what she went through, an innocent woman uh, that went through all that she did and ultimately ended up passing away uh, a few years ago. And uh, I thought that was very meaningful, Dennis. Your thoughts on that and, and as why is this so important that this voice, this this uh, particular issue be handled across the nation to our listeners. It, it has to be because I mean, exonerations are not. De- de- I mean, uh, they're not decreasing; they're increasing. Uh, same thing with wrongful convictions; they're not falling; they're not lowering. Uh, we get more and more wrongful convictions uh, as we speak. And the sad thing is, it's all about plea bargaining. You know, a lot of times, you know, uh, the, the, the poor can't afford. You know, an attorney can't afford. Uh, to fight it, and, and knowing that they're innocent. So what do they do? They take a plea. So there's so much things that we got to do in our justice system. We got to really look at the plea bargaining uh, deal. We got to look at, uh, you know, the, the, the defendants uh, that, that are given to these guys, you know, the, and girls. Uh, but we, we really got to look at it because it's, uh, it's getting out of control. You can't win. I mean, even you know you're, you know you're innocent. But uh, like they said, you know, uh, these, these, these attorneys, uh, they can indict a, a ham sandwich. I mean, so it's so hard to win. But if we don't speak out, if we don't start addressing, if we don't start voting uh, for our attorneys and stuff like that, it's going to continue to be the same. Yeah, hey, and, I, and I definitely agree with you, Dennis. I mean, just in here reading an article from The Washington Post talking about, you know, not just the amount of people that are, are convicted, wrongfully convicted, but also the amount of money that it's, it's costing the states. And I mean, we're talking right, about right. billions of dollars that are being paid out of these people, thousands of years that are being lost. Like when is, when are people going to wake up and see that you need to speak out before the person is sentenced? You need to speak out. You need to go and do something, act, whether it's voting, whether it's actually, you know, petitioning to, you know, the attorney, the prosecutor, you know, the judges, you know, examine all the evidence because all you're doing is you're stealing people's lives, and then you're going to try and make up for it by offering them some lump sum, which, yeah, okay, it says here in the article it averages about $69,000 per year that they were in prison wrongfully. But, I mean, you, get, you ask anybody that's been wrongfully convicted, I mean, you yourself, how, how, how much would you pay to get that time back? And then you could ask yeah, any other yeah. exoneree the same thing. They, Sixty-nine grand a year that they're going to offer these people is, is a drop in the bucket to what somebody would pay to actually have their life. And that's what the justice system is stealing from people, and that's why this radio show has to keep going and keep speaking out for those that can't speak out for themselves. Well, it's a joke because what ultimately happens is the so-called bill for wrongful convictions that passed here by Governor, Governor Hickenlooper uh, in this state, Colorado, amounted in my case to $192 a day. Now, what they're telling you, you're going to get 70000 a year. 
For every year, you were wrongfully convicted. I did the math. Wow. 192 bucks a day. And they denied me mine. Wow. District Attorney Mr. May in the El Paso County District Attorney's Office fought to do the right thing. And I went through a second trial and was found not guilty on all counts. The nonsense they came back with was, well, we don't know if that's actual innocence. So if you go before a jury and the jury comes back and says guilty, we we are easy to accept. That is the verdict. You're guilty. As they said with Bill Cosby, he was convicted in the court of law. But when a jury comes back and says, you're not guilty, you want to ask a question? Is that actual innocence? Wow. Are you out of your mind? That is the nonsense That's of broke, our system. Broke. Broke. That's the nonsense. Broke. Doesn't make any sense. So, so now what you have to say, well, then that tells me a jury conviction isn't legit. Because a jury acquittal isn't legit. Wow. So how do, we, how do you even let your mouth say that? And they said, well, that's kind of how the statute reads. That's a joke. So when you're up on TV, Governor Hickenlooper, I believe you're on your way out the door anyway. However, when you're up on TV uh, talking about we care about our convicted uh, folks and those that have been done wrong, this helps to give back. You're giving back nothing. And to fight someone who went through a trial and the jury said not guilty, that's actual innocence. If I get, conv- if I get arrested today, for a crime and I go before a trial and I get found not guilty, I walk out the courtroom free. That's right. So how is the, how does that how does that make any sense at all? It absolutely does not. So uh we're gonna deal with that. <laughs> this passion is about what we have been through, what we have seen, what we have suffered personally. Personally. Because you had no problem throwing me in a jail cell when the jury came back guilty. Immediately. But when they come back and say not guilty, well, we need to look into the matter. Really? And, and, and then look how long, how, how long did it take before you got out? It's so simple to put someone in prison, but it's like the, it's the hardest fight ever. After, after, Even after you're proven innocent. After I was found, after my case was overturned, I sat in prison for an additional year. Wow. As, Amazing. As the system played chess with my life. Wow. So they can say, please reconsider appellate court. They already know the appellate court is not, they've already read, they're not going to turn back and appeal. But they have a motion they can file to say, reconsider. That's 45 days. Then we got to respond and say, this is why you must reconsider. This is why you must not reconsider your verdict of overthrowing the case. That's another 45 to 60 days. Then we can say, well, let's ask for an extension for another 20 to 40 days. This is month after month after month. And you're hung up in court. And my attorney said it right. She said, Lamont, it's going to be about a year. So every day before I knew that, I'm walking to the chow hall, and another guy who had the same attorney on appeal got screwed over in the system. We were both we both had the same attorney, and both cases were overturned. So he said, man, you you, you leaving? I said, not yet, Till I looked up one morning, and he was gone. And every morning for a year, we were talking to each other. Hey, man, today may be the day because sometimes you'll go to child, come back, hey, pack out. Wow. And it's, it's still, that is the frustration. That is the system. And one morning I got up and didn't see him there. And I said, he's gone, I'm next. Because his case was before mine. And uh, it take, how you get through that, it takes, 
it takes only a God to help you get it. through uh, that situation. It's a tough, tough road uh, to walk, but we walked it, and here we are today as we have become the voice again for the voiceless tonight and for the innocent uh, who are behind the wall. Let's play a clip for you real quick. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about it. Let's play it. But he sued and was awarded more than $13 million by the state of New York and the other municipalities involved in his conviction. And just last month, he won another multi-million dollar judgment. Now, Deskovich is working in his own way to make sure people don't have to go through what he did. He set up a foundation with his settlement money to help investigate other possible wrongful convictions across the country, as well as offer financial and social support to other exonerees sometimes with something as simple as a regular karaoke night with other guys who were wrongfully convicted. It's cathartic for me, and I feel like I'm making a difference. I'm trying to make my suffering count for something. Even so, Deskovich says suing was an arduous process. After 16 years in prison, he spent nearly another decade trying to make it right. It took less than a year for me to get, get to a trial and to be wrongfully convicted on the criminal side. And in terms of getting a settlement, it took five years. And then to even get a, get to a civil rights trial, uh, eight years. And then no social services in the meantime. Drew Whitley sued in federal court, alleging that his civil rights were violated. But the bar for proving misconduct is high. Even though a federal judge agreed that police officers were negligent, she ruled against his lawsuit, saying, quote, a reasonable officer in 1989 would not have fair warning that conducting a reckless investigation was unconstitutional. So even though there are admissions of mistakes and of shoddy police work, Drew Whitley is unlikely to get paid by Pennsylvania. Well, not unlikely. He's not going to get paid. Uh, he sued. The judge threw the case out. And there's really no recourse unless we had a compensation package, and we don't. If all this strikes you as arbitrary, that one wrongfully convicted person is paid while another is not, it's because our criminal justice system is largely decided by the states. So we're dealing with you know, 50, different, 50 different states plus the federal government, right? um, and, uh, and they take different uh, views about these matters. Bernard Harcourt is a law professor at Columbia University who studies punishment in the criminal justice system. He says that while compensation packages may be the more immediate and certain route for helping exonerees, multi-million dollar lawsuits could have a larger impact. One of my fears is really that if you have a, a too straightforward system where anyone who's wrongfully convicted just gets $50,000 a year, that we, don't, we, we, stop, we stop paying attention. You, you lose the, the impetus to really try to uh, make sure that no one actually goes through this. Having been through it himself, Deskovich says that preventing wrongful convictions is even more important than compensating exonerees after the fact. They could never uh, give me my years back. I, I would I'd be willing to not only give the money back, I'd be willing to go into debt for that amount of money, maybe even double it to have had my, my years back, to have had a normal, uh, had a normal uh, life. A normal life is all Drew Whitley was hoping for when he was exonerated. What were your expectations for your life when you got out? A good place to stay, food, eat, and transportation. That's how I really went out of life, like everybody else. 
I don't want to. I don't want to be filthy rich or millionaire or whatever. That's one place to stay. Room for my education. Oh, there you have it. Um, unbelievable. God said the guy's just not going to get paid from the state of Pennsylvania. There's no fighting. There's no other recourse. He's just not going to get paid. And they accepted that as well. That's just the way it is. This system is insane. And you know what? He's not asking when he makes the statement. I just want a roof over my head. A place to call my own. That I can come in and take a shower and not feel like I'm in a cattle stall. And have some food to eat. Those are simple things that's not out of the uh, realm of, of, of things to do that's right. This is, and you can, if I'm hearing it right, and let me ask our other our host, it's a sound of, man, this is all I got. I don't have, it, it sounds like he, there's a down feeling here with this guy. And why should a wrongful convicted guy lose his self confidence, his self uh, worth, if you will, in his own mind because of what he has suffered in return of that wrongful conviction? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Lamont. I mean, it just sounds like when you say when you hear the things he's asking for, he's he's even said he doesn't want to be extremely rich. He doesn't want to be any of that stuff. He's literally he's just asking to be treated. Like a normal human being, give me a roof over my head, give me food, give me transportation. You know, that's all he's really asking for from a system who that did, who did him wrong. Exactly. They 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 put him away like an animal in a cage, and he's like he's like he would go into debt to have those years back. He would pay double to have those years back to have a normal life, and that's all he's really asking for. And I think that just we're not doing enough. For the for these folks that that are exonerated, we're really not. This this justice system is so so swayed to the wrong side that this. Well, and, and we need to take we need to take compensation from the states. I, I'm just saying. I mean, uh, you know, one state provides compensation, one state doesn't. I mean, no, uh, you took a man's life, an uh, innocent man's life, and you put him in prison. You're going to pay for it. And for some reason, it appears that if you if you hit someone enough in their pockets, because remember, that's taxpayer dollars. After a while, someone's going to say, hey, you guys need to get your act together because we're spending a lot of money on wrongful conviction. New York and Texas are, man, they spent millions already. So if we don't if we don't get involved and don't make uh, compensation mandatory, we're going to continue to have gentlemen like this guy. You know, we're not going to give you nothing. So, so what? We put you in prison wrongfully. Big deal. Get a life. That's not, that's not the way it should be. We got to start holding them accountable. How do you do that? You hit them in the pocket. Eventually, the American people, those in the, that state or that, that county is going to say, you know what? We're tired of spending our money for wrongful convictions. Stop convicting these people wrongfully, and they're going to get involved. No, oh, absolutely right. Uh, good point to be made. Uh, we're going to get into more of this discussion. Fernando Bermudez, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, uh, who we consider a friend of this organization. Uh, he's been on this show before talking about uh, what the system has done to him. Uh, I salute his courage, his work, 
this is a champion for justice, in my opinion. And uh, we're happy to have him tonight to get his perspective and his story uh, that our listeners might understand a little bit, at least, of the injustice suffering and that's happening in this country. Fernando, are you there? Yes, thank you for having me. Fernando, thank you so much for taking Hello? time. To... Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. All right, and we can hear you good as well. Uh, thanks for taking time tonight, Fernando, to talk to us as we talk about the voices from behind the wall. Uh, we've started this series uh, 14 shows ago, and we've continued on it, and, and we're focusing now on voices of the innocent, those that have suffered the greater injustice uh, than some of those that suffer even now uh, behind the wall. We appreciate you taking time to come on and tell your story. We appreciate that. My pleasure, sir. All right, Fernando, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, again, you've been on before, but we want to hear uh, some of the things that you had to endure. Tell us your story, your wrongful conviction, uh, of course, what you're doing now, but some of the things that addresses the issues we're bringing up tonight, the voices of the innocent, who the system has designed to be silenced. Just Cause AJC Radio would not allow that silence to continue and I want to hear from you now. As I'm sure our listeners are anxious to hear your story. Go ahead. I'll give you the floor. Thank you. Well, my name is Fernando Bermudez. I spent over 18 and a half years in prison for a crime I didn't commit until finally in 2009, I was exonerated on the actual innocence grounds. And since then, I've been out uh, going on nine years now. This November marks my ninth year of being free. Uh, and I still try to continue being a voice because I know how important a voice is especially when you're incarcerated and it feels that you can't be heard unless you scream, unless you yell, unless you shake the bars, unless you seek to oil uh, the wheels of a broken system. Sure. And, uh, and those, so 18 years, Fernando, you spent. Uh, yes. were, you at more, were you at more than one prison, or did that primarily happen at one? Most yes, of the time. Ever since 1991, when my, when my legal odyssey began, I ended up spending over uh, not only 18 and a half years, but in seven maximum security prisons, my time was divided throughout those horrible places, each with a distinct, you know, horror quality to it in terms of the, the human destruction that was going on in there and just the devastation of lives. Tell us a little bit about that, Fernando. Tell us about some of that destruction that you saw, you witnessed, uh, and that impacted you so, so, so heavy. Well, certainly, as soon as I entered the system, I, I was just shocked because I had to go into survival mode. Even though I was a big guy and everything like that, that didn't matter when you have, you know, gangs operating for control of the black markets within the prison system and people just stabbing each other uh, to use the phones. And you just try to become invisible and try to survive. It's, it's not only a bad situation, but one you're hopeful to escape from. And for me, my hope became the American criminal justice system, because I, I was scared to death in prison. You know, when I first entered, especially, I was just like, wow, I can't even believe I'm in here. You know, who can I tell? Who can I trust? Who can I begin, you know, voicing my innocence to in such a horrible place? And it was it was just a terrible place. I mean, you stretch your life over the course of 18 years. It's, it's not a sprint it's rather a marathon that almost feels like you can't finish and that's how it felt like for me uh you know it's an asphyxiating situation in which you just have to catch your breath and you have to pause and try to see how you could determine your next move to survive okay and you said that uh some of the 
the prison, seven maximum facilities. Uh, yes. And what I, I tell people sometimes, and, and uh, doing, doing, as I shared earlier with my wrongful conviction, when they move you from a facility, it's like moving to a new town. It's like packing up out of yeah. Colorado to Arizona now. I mean, that's how drastic, <laughs> right? That's how drastic a move. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Most of us hate to move. We hate to move. Even if it's living in, in, in freedom, well, imagine taking all your belongings and moving from one place, being shackled on a bus, set to a facility, and now the survival mode begins again because sometimes you make acquaintances or, or people that you get to know in other places, and that helps your survival level. It doesn't guarantee it because a person will drop dead right in front of the yard being stabbed in the neck, and you see that, and, and you never forget that. So you're never safe. But in the new place, you may not know anybody, or you may hope you know somebody. And so each time, as you mentioned, it becomes a very difficult burden and life-endangering uh, situation in moving from place to place, yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm sure during your, your stress there, Fernando, there were some um, isolated uh, uh, they call it the special, what do they call it? Special housing unit, which we all know as the whole. Uh, yes. How, how was your experience in, in those situations? Did you ever deal with that? Well, fortunately, I, I was fortunate that I didn't uh, get to experience that, but I seen the, the ravages that it took on people that went in there and came out. I mean, you're not fed the same way even though you're not fit good in the general population. But while there, I've seen guys come in who were, who were big and strong, and when they were taken there and came back out, they were just emaciated. Just You could realize the toll of the deprivation, the extra deprivation level that takes place there. It can make you lose your mind. I've, I've seen it. Yeah, so when you went through those moments, Fernando, and you saw, and again, Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is a man who is not guilty. Now, it's rough. Whether you're guilty or not behind that wall is a war zone. That's all it is. And, uh, Fernanda, as you say, a place of survival. You go into survival mode because, you know, people may not say they're scared when they're going into the penitentiary. I can guarantee you every person that ever went in there for their first time, you're not going to say that. You're not going to show that. Mm -hmm. But deep inside, right. deep inside, when you when they shut those doors at night and you're locked down, you like like you said, man, I can't believe I'm even here. I didn't even do yeah. anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's right. That's right. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts a whole lot. And out of that hurt, out of that uh, anxiety, that that, that that the frustration comes. You need to voice yourself in a bad situation. And, and there's a frustration when you're not heard. There's a frustration when you're trying to, you know, you're living now in exile from society and, and you're, you're considered to be thrown by what some would say, you know, a trash can for, for society's garbage, but that's not true. There are innocent people in prison. There's people also who made serious mistakes. But in that environment, it's, it's a cauldron that's boiling, boiling to the point of just you know, really taking lives. And, you know, you, 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 you have to try to have a voice, and that's what I sought to do. I sought to create a voice while in there because I needed to be heard and I needed to get out. And uh, from what I hear now, uh, your voice is definitely being heard. Uh, you have a story uh, to tell others that 
you know what? You have to fight against us. You can't give up the fight. If you stop fighting, nothing is done. And I think with right. what you, according to your story, it says here the damning evidence that they the, the prosecution had was a photo that was misidentified by five teenage witnesses. It says here the youngsters who, who put you behind bars recanted their testimony. However, saying that prosecutors and police had pressured them into pinning this on you as the killer. There was no evidence to prove such allegations. And so the kids, you're dealing with kids, number one, in a situation like that, they're going to be scared to death. Man, I didn't do what he did. Uh, you said I'm going to prison. No, I didn't do it. But then when, they, when somebody recants and says, no, Mr. Bermudez uh, uh, didn't do this. They don't want to They don't How insane is that? And I, I'm, I'm sure yes. at that point, your situation, Fernando, you felt like, hey, they're recanting. Man, I'll get out of this because I didn't do it. Which brings even more of the injustice that, man, they're saying I didn't do it and they don't even care to hear the truth. Well, how do you, does that, I presume that drives you in what you do today to fight against a system that has fallen off the track. Yes, sir. And that's, and that's what it took. It took my indignation, not my, the inhumanity that I was thrust into you know, to seek my dignity and voice my, myself as an innocent man. And, and I needed to prove that. It, it became a system where I had to work in spite of it. You know, I had to work in spite of the system because the system was not working. So I had to voice and I had to try to write as many people as I could. I came from a family who, although they spoke English, it was limited because they came as immigrants to this country. And yet I was first generation, you know, born here. And, and I sought to use the education I learned uh, from my schooling to write journalists, to write my attorneys, to write people who I felt can voice the indignation that I felt. And so I had to get out of that place. And we had to prove it. Again, I want to stress how difficult it is. My case was a non-DNA case. Therefore, it was more difficult than a mm-hmm. DNA case because there was no scientific evidence. That meant I had a higher burden to prove my innocence. So I had to get as many people as I could. And I wrote letter after letter after letter after letter. I had to prove my, my innocence. And here, uh, Fernando, it says that you actually had a legitimate alibi that went ignored. Yes. Tell us about that. Yes, that, would, yes that, that was ignored in addition to the evidence where one of the teenage witnesses who testified against me, he knew who committed the crime and told the police and prosecutor where this person could be found. But they ignored that key lead. Instead, they went with the other four teenage witnesses, and uh, when they got the, the, the fifth witness, that witness had tried to tell them what, who committed the crime, but then when they showed him the picture that was misidentified, they pointed to my picture illegally, unconstitutionally, and said, isn't this the guy who committed the crime? You can Is see his the- face, dumbfounded. Huh. Like, he, wow. he knew that he was purposely, wrongfully right. accusing me. After the four teenage witnesses already had done that, but this guy knew who did it, so he purposely, you know, set me up the river, if you will. Well, here's what's insane. I I come from a background of sales. So what I just heard was an assumptive close is what I learned in the sales industry. If you make a statement to a customer, isn't uh, isn't this what you want to pay? The customer has a problem saying (laughs) That's what they teach you. So what the police officer officer turns around and does versus saying, is this the one? 
Does this look like the man that did it? Because that's open. I can say no to that. If I say to a youngster, isn't this him? I'm expecting yes. That is sick. So they use, yes. that is the sick, it's just, it's, it sounds comical, but it is the manipulation of the right. system to pressure this kid to say, well, isn't this him? You want to go home? We don't know what was said before. Man, you want to go home now? Isn't this him? You want to go home to mom and dad? Isn't this him? We don't know what was said, but that statement within it by itself is sick. What do you yes. think a youngster yes. is going to do there? You and agree with sad, that for now? And what's sad is I, I, that... Absolutely. That's why, that's why my case, it helps set some precedents in terms of lineup identification procedures and how... Because, again, even, even in the lineup procedure, the witnesses would eventually testify that they were told by the police and prosecutor, uh, tell us who was responsible in this lineup. Then in the same way, <laughs> tell us who was responsible in this mugshot book. You know, this is how my picture got picked out. So this is such a suggestive way that it became unconstitutional. And that's one of the reasons why we were able also to prove my actual innocence. That's that's awesome. Dennis, go ahead. And, and and what gets me is that you're willing to leave the perpetrator out in society yeah. to do it all over again just to say you put someone in prison. That's sick to me. I, I, I can never understand that. You're willing to take that chance. You're willing to let a murderer free to put an innocent man in prison just to say, I put, I, I put someone in prison. That, that's, that's sickening. And it's sad to hear your story, but it's awesome to hear your story in the sense that you're a fighter and that you're fighting today to make sure it doesn't happen to someone else. I mean, I commend you, but to, that, that's just Thank a sad you. thing. When our society and when our, our justice system is so bent on a conviction, that they'll they'll let a, 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 the guilty man go free. That that's amazing to me. Fernando, do you have a few more minutes that you can spend with us? Yes, I do. I do. All right, I'm a, okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to hear more about your story. We're going to go into a little bit of some of the things that have maybe have been difficult to get out of your mind for what you saw behind okay. the wall. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break, folks. This is AJC Radio Voices from Behind the Wall. An honor and privilege to have Fernando Bermudez. I call him a champion and advocate for justice. He's coming back on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio, the voices of the innocent. Their voices being heard tonight. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. 
Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they've got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Tragedies have to stop. There must be accountability. Black, white, brown. We are one. 
We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. We will not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is necessary. We need to talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name, Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. We must unite. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, and tonight we continue Voices from Behind the Wall, Voices of the Innocent, and those that have been wrongfully convicted in this nation and have suffered extreme loss as a result of a system, as I said before, has fallen off the tracks uh, when it comes to justice in this country. And the greatest victims of all, we talk about the abuse behind the wall, we talk about the treatment, but the voices of the innocent who never should have set a day in a prison because a prosecutor in the case of Fernando uh, Bermudez uh, simply said, we don't care whether you say Fernando was there or not. He is going to do 18 years. And my understanding was it was 23 years to life. Uh, was his sentence. Fernando, uh, we appreciate you being back with us and and uh, telling your story. We appreciate that, and uh, thank you so much for your insight on this topic. Are you with us? Thank you. I'm with you. Okay. And uh, Fernando, as I was going over some of this during the break as well, again, um, there's a couple of attorneys that should be noted here. Marianne Debari, uh, I guess, was a pro bono attorney for you? Um, yes. And she, I presu- she passed ahead. away uh, three and a half years ago. So uh, okay. she, her memory continues living on and what she was able to do in my case and the many, li- the many, many lives that she touched while on earth. And she fought for you. It sounds to me from what I'm seeing here, fought uh, vehemently for your, uh, for, for justice for you. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And our condolences again, uh, uh, to the family and, and to you as her, I'm sure, uh, became a true friend of yours and, a, and an advocate to, for justice for you. Uh, she had some passion here. Um, to, what made her get on board and say, you know what, I, th- I believe I need to fight for Fernando? What do you remember? She got on board because my father uh, began a quest to try to find attorneys to help me uh, because we ran, we ran out of money and we had no choice but to try to find pro bono attorneys. So my father was searching for attorneys far and wide, and he came upon a, a retired German judge who knew Marianne DeBarry from law school, and he recommended her, and she took my case as early as uh, early 1993. That's awesome. And uh, Until I was exonerated in 2009. Mm-hmm. And felony, that's why you know there's champions and there's people out there uh, that are willing to fight. You just got to put the work in. And thank thank God for your father who, who sought out and and look how the doors opened up for you. I'm so grateful uh, for your thank voice you. and uh, for your efforts here. I understand you don't have to go into details about this. Uh, there's a current lawsuit pending. Is that lawsuit still open uh, against the state of New York? No, I have I have I am finally out of litigation. That's all over with. I have uh, settled my cases against both New York State and New York City. I'm happy to say. Okay. I'm glad to say, and hopefully something uh, substantial that at least meant something uh, to do something 
uh, to help you and to give back. I, ho- I hope they uh, showed up and did the right thing by you. Yes, sir. I, I needed to be a voice there as well. It was a, it was a very bad uh, litigation in terms of I ended up having the same federal judge in my last lawsuit, which presided over my state, over my habeas corpus, which I had filed yeah. while in state prison. So, in other words, that judge had the opportunity to free me as early as 2004, and she chose not to do that. I needed, I stayed in prison another five years because of her not freeing me, even though the case was declared unconstitutional in terms of the identification procedures. Turns out that I had the misfortune of then having her again when I sued New York City, and she made it really difficult for me, and I needed to become a voice there as well to try to get my case uh, resolved before her. Okay, okay. And again, that's that's something that you've been able to conclude, bring to an end, um, and, yes. and uh, that's good. That's good to know. And uh, So tell us a little bit about, Fernando, uh, your efforts now. I know you are a voice out here for a lot of people. Uh, tell us a little bit, little bit about uh, what you're doing now to really push, other than, of course, appearing on this show, uh, what, what are your day-to-day operations, if you will, that puts you in the fight uh, against injustice and those that have been wronged by the system? Well, I'll I tell you the truth. The first and foremost uh, modus of operandi for me now is homeschooling my son because mm-hmm. the, the, the system or school system where he was in failed him. So now I'm homeschooling him. I, I have a team to help me as well. It's not a single effort. My wife is involved as well. Uh, but we're doing the best we can uh, because the system failed in there on, on an educational level. So now we've taken it upon ourselves. However, I, I continue writing. I, I, I published some works and some books here and there. And uh, I continue trying to be an academic voice as well as a spoken voice. I've appeared at several places where my voice was needed uh, in, in different places of educational venue to speak as well. So I've, I've, I've shared my story far and wide, not just in America, but abroad as well. And so over 300 venues, I've, I've done a lot of work. And now I've just been settling in with trying to homeschool my son until I can get a breather and maybe put him in a better school that could, you know, definitely help him with his education or in the way that the other system failed him. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm being very wise with my compensation. I'm managing it as best as possible. And I'm at home and I'm taking care not only of my son, but I've also been on on a martial arts journey with him. For the last two and a half years, we've been involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And so we've been doing that together as a father and son mission. Uh, but at the same time, I'm available to speak at universities, at any places, colleges, and other venues, because I, I do it from time to time still, as long as I get uh, advanced notice. That's awesome. And I salute your courage, your efforts, your, uh, your fight in this, in this fight that we're in. Uh, to bring justice. Listen to this very carefully. It says, even if there's one person on death row that's innocent, just one, that should be enough to take a look at the system. It's on everybody's hands if we execute somebody who's innocent. The system didn't free me. God did. God manifested the truth. Daryl Eugene Hunt, twice convicted of 1984 murder and sentenced to life, exonerated in February 2004 when another man confessed 
to the murder. And he says, he writes, I left my anger in prison, but now I fight for the cause to abolish the death penalty. I can't cry. I have to tell people the facts, the humor and sad stories without feeling hateful. I spent 17 years, eight months, and one day on death row. I was not saved by the system. I was saved in spite of the system. The death penalty nearly killed me, but it also brings tremendous suffering to the family of the death row inmate. I can honestly say that my mother and five aunts were mentally tortured for 17 years, eight months and one day while I was on death row. And that comes from Juan Roberto Melendez, who spent, again, more than 17 years on Florida's death row before he was exonerated and freed in January of 2002. Give me your thoughts, Fernando. When you hear the words of a man like that, uh, it went further, of course, uh, dealing with death now. I don't think people stop and take a look at the people connected to what you're doing. He said mentally tortured. Yes. How do we as a country, as a people, as a race of people, how are we okay with that? Your thoughts, Fernando, on that? The mental torture is very real. It's a, it's a day-to-day type of thing. It's like a you know, Chinese water torture, the, the, the cold, hard reality dripping on your head, in your, in your psyche, that you know that you're innocent and you need to voice your, your, yourself to get out of there. And it, 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 it's a horror story because there's times where if you don't continue voicing yourself and trying to get help, trying to, to cure something, then you're going to feel hopeless. And you can't. You have to fight against that. You have to fight against what is the, the stretching of time because wrongful convictions just usually do not get resolved in a matter of years. It takes it takes usually on oftentimes more than a decade to resolve each wrongful conviction on average. So mm-hmm. we're talking about decade or more of the time that it usually takes to, you know, we're not talking about months. We're not talking about days, even though that's horror, horrific enough to be in prison for a crime you didn't commit. We're talking about many years, oftentimes more than 10 on average. No, absolutely right. That, that, uh, that just breaks my heart when you read something like that. Uh, it, it just, you're trying to just catch up with what in the world is going on. What happened to the presumption of innocence? If the presumption of innocence mattered, a prosecutor searches out every detail to presume the innocent of who you have who you have taken into custody who you put this crime on if the presumption of innocence mattered i guarantee you our wrongful conviction rate drops dramatically but it doesn't matter now it's the presumption of guilt so if we can go with what we've already started we're too lazy to go back and say let's get it right i'm gonna play a clip uh uh, right now for you, um, uh, Fernando, I want to get your, your thoughts on it. Uh, and this involves okay. a, a young lady that this is, this is how sick our society has become. You have a clerk in an office fired for helping a wrongfully convicted man, trying to help him. Somebody in the system says something's wrong here. Let me try to help the, the state says to you, you know what, thanks for your, your kindness and your good deed. You're fired. How do you do that? I'm going to play that clip for now. I'm going to get your thoughts. I'm, I'm going to be respectful of your time there on the East Coast, and we're going to uh, give you an opportunity to enjoy the rest of your evening. I don't want to in any way impede on your time uh, unless you say you want to hang out with 
you're welcome here. Um, but let's I'm play the clip. To, I'm happy to comment on what you mentioned. Yes, sir. Okay, we're going to play the clip. We'll be right back with you. Let's play it. Right now, as I speak to you, there is a man in Kansas City who is imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. He has been exonerated based on DNA evidence, and the woman who helped him get his freedom, she got fired for doing so. Robert Nelson was awaiting trial on unrelated robbery charges almost 30 years ago when an anonymous tip came in saying that two brothers in jail at the time for robbery, two brothers with a different last name, had committed a string of rapes nearby. While police couldn't find those brothers, they did find Robert Nelson, who just happened to be awaiting trial on robbery charges with his brother. That single anonymous tip received by police, plus a single problematic witness ID, led to Robert Nelson being convicted for rape and sentenced to 70 years in prison for a crime he maintained he did not commit. In 2009, Nelson filed a motion seeking DNA testing that had not been available at the time of his trial. That motion was denied on a technicality. In 2011, he filed again and was once again denied by the same judge on a technicality. After two failed motions, Robert Nelson's sister, distraught and wondering why the motions were being denied, called up court clerk Sharon Snyder, 70-year-old great-grandmother and 34-year court employee, looking for answers. Snyder responded by going way above and beyond her duty. She went and found a successfully filed motion seeking DNA testing from a different case. She blacked out the names and gave it to Nelson's sister as a model. Nelson and his sister submitted a third motion based off of that document. And finally, that motion was granted. And lo and behold, the DNA evidence revealed that Robert Nelson is innocent of the brutal rape he was serving time for. He was released from prison this past June. And not only that, the DNA testing and the folks from the Innocence Project who worked on behalf of Nelson and in cooperation with prosecutors found the two men who actually committed the rape. But for her effort in helping to free an innocent man from prison and find the real perpetrators of the brutal crime, Sharon Snyder was fired by Judge David Byrne, the judge who denied the original two motions and granted the third for, in his words, quote, a violation of Canon 7, the court rules which warns against the risk of offering an opinion of suggested course of action. I'm so happy to be joined now by Robert Nelson and Sharon Snyder for their first national television interview together. Robert, my first question to you is how did it feel to spend those years in prison knowing you had been wrongly convicted, and how did it feel to get the news that you were being released? Oh, it was, it was, it was exhausting. At times, at times when I was in prison, I wanted to give up because it took, I, I filed three, three, three DNA motions and the judge, two, two DNA motions and the judge denied them both. And and during that during the course of the time me being incarcerated, it was it was like I was giving up hope. And then my sister, me and my sister both gave up hope. Sharon, if you knew when you helped out Robert's sister, if you knew what would happen, that you would be fired for what you did. If you could go back in time and have the choice again, would you do it again? Oh yes, I would do it again. I am so happy that he got exonerated on this charge and felt that uh, that would happen uh, or he wouldn't file that motion to start out with. So you, I was, do you, uh, I, you, I would have done it. Are you angry at, at the fact that you have apparently been punished for doing something that has led to a wrong being righted, to justice being served? 
I think that they severely punished me financially uh, by sus suspending me without pay uh, when uh, other persons in the court system had uh, embezzled much, a lot of money and they were suspended but with pay. So I thought that was a severe punishment for me and to make me retire uh, long before I planned my retirement in March of uh, next year uh, hurt me. And uh, I think it was too severe. Robert, I think, uh, how do you, I, Robert, how do you feel about um, what Sharon did? I feel, uh, she, she is, to me, she is truly a, a my angel. I call her my angel. Because without her help, I think I would still be in prison and probably would have died in there. Because of the emotion I was found, it kept being denied by the judge. Sharon, what does it say to you about the system that you worked 34 years inside of? that what happened to Robert could have happened. What do you take away as a lesson from this episode? Well, the lesson is that people need to help uh, parties that are going pro se. Uh, what I did was uh, give him a public record uh, that he was able to use. And uh, I think that the law should be changed, that judges should be taken out of the mix on deciding these DNA motions, and they should automatically be granted because it will either, you know, show that they were guilty or they were innocent. And Robert, what are your plans for your future now uh, out in the world? Uh, it's amazing. It's nice to be free. Uh, I'm planning on getting a job, and I'm, and I'm also planning on... Uh, uh, donate my donate some time uh, with charity to help guys who've been in my situation. You know, I'd be like a mentor to them. Well, there you have it. Uh, wow. You know what is so strange to me is why does the burden become heavier on the innocent. I heard somebody tell me one time, and it may have been Antoine that told me that it's harder for the wrongful convicted to get back on track than somebody just getting released from prison who's guilty. How does that make any sense? My struggle, my burden becomes more because I'm innocent doesn't make any sense. When we keep saying that's why the system is off the rail, Fernando, I'm going to get your thoughts, Dennis. I'm going to come to you. Fernando, okay. when, you hear, when you hear that, I mean, to me, it tells us the exact state of this nation and where we're at as a country, as a people. And to me, it is the most disgusting thing. One of the most disgusting things I've ever heard within a criminal justice system. It doesn't make any sense to me. Can you shed any light on that? Or are you just as baffled as I am? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm moved first by the story that we just heard about the, the, the lady, the court clerk who helped out that gentleman. You know, uh, thank, God bless her, and I'm just happy to, I'm happy that he got out. You know, and it's, it's just, it just is the big question there in terms of what's more important, principal or a paycheck? You know, and that woman chose the principal, and it goes along the lines of, to prevent wrongful convictions, each person in authority and power has to ask, how do I prevent this? Is 
my principles is a principle more important than a paycheck. And when you ask yourself the greatest number for the greatest good for a loan, you know, you'll see that it's always important to do the right thing. And I'm glad that she did the right thing. Absolutely. And we talk about, and, and, and um, Fernando, I'm going to give you an opportunity, uh, hopefully to join us on another show. If you have time out of your schedule, uh, you can hang with us as long. You just let me know when you time to, to hit the lights and, and, and hit the bed, man. We'll, uh, We'll uh, we'll let you lose. <laughs> but I want to share something with you. You talked a little bit about some of the uh, some of the horrors. Uh, we've done some research of even people. Listen to this. It says uh, this particular man, anti-death penalty advocate Daryl Hunt, who was wrongfully convicted and served almost 20 years in a North Carolina prison before being exonerated in 2004, was found dead on March 13, 2016, in a car near the Wake Forest University campus. Police officials revealed that Hunt had died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He was 51 years old and had recently been diagnosed with cancer. This, to me, falls at the feet of the people that locked him away wrongfully. That's just me. You robbed this man of 20 years of his life. No telling what he could have accomplished, his family, uh, the Christmases, the Thanksgivings, the barbecues, the family gatherings, all of those things. But he gets out after fighting, after becoming an advocate. He gets the news that he has cancer and feels like, what is there left for me to do? Because you already took a lifetime. 20 years is a lifetime. You took a lifetime from this man. And... uh the collateral damage, if you will, of injustice. This is collateral damage. Absolutely. And I mean, just looking at some of these uh, stories that we're being fed here is um, there was a study done. I mean, one third of the inmates, the exonerated inmates, like they still had criminal records. Like you said, it's harder for somebody that's been exonerated than somebody that went in, did their stretch, and then they got back out. But now, I mean, we're talking about like these guys are innocent but they have felony records and it doesn't just impact stuff like you know, I'm reading here. It says, you know, housing, employment, you know, we know those are the big things, but I mean, say, say somebody was convicted and like, it says right here, if they, if they were an avid hunter or an outdoorsman, like they can't even get a simple hunting license. Some of something that somebody like me, like I take it for granted, you know, but the fact is, you know, if you have a felony conviction, you're not allowed to own a firearm. I mean, again, it, right. it's simple. It's something really, really simple, but the fact is, like, we all take that for granted. And then hearing this story about, you know, um, this court clerk, my God, like, that no, no more does, like, the, the old adage, no good deed goes unpunished, comes to mind. Because, she, like, like he said, she stepped up, put principal before paycheck, helped this man when a judge didn't want to hear DNA evidence, not once, but twice. He denied it. He denied it. But yeah. she, she stepped up and did the right thing and, and lost her job for it. Well, it says here in 2003, the Winston-Salem Journal published an eight-part series on Hunt's case. Shortly after the series ran, the North Carolina Bureau of Investigation matched the DNA from the crime scene to a convicted rapist who confessed to murdering uh, this young lady. Hunt was exonerated and received a pardon. He later filed and settled lawsuits against the state of the city of Winston-Salem. Uh, following his release, he became an outspoken advocate for criminal justice reform uh, and abolishing the death penalty. But 
this man is dead. Because somebody, and we don't know what uh, life holds for any of us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But do I take 20 years? What could have been accomplished as an advocate? Right. What, what could have been done? What, what this man could have accomplished? What he, and for a judge to say, I don't understand if he's asking for a DNA investigation. 99 out of 100, he's innocent because DNA is not something you can fake. Right. He's asked you twice, judge, to do the right thing. And you denied. I don't understand where is the accountability for that judge who sent this man to prison for 20 years. Where are you at? How do you sleep at night when all he asked you, he, this is what's bizarre about it, uh, Fernando. All he asked yeah. was, follow the system. Do what you have the capability to do that I don't have. If I could do my own DNA and, and, and do it and bring it to your desk, I guarantee this Mr. Hunt would have done so. You have the tools to do that, and you refuse it. My question is why? Why? Well, I mean, it just, it just goes to show again that, like, due process and all that stuff, I mean, it's just gone out the window. And then they want to give this guy a pardon, like, okay, what is, what is that really going to do? Like you said, they, they stole a lifetime from him. God only knows what he went through when his, in his 20 years behind bars. I mean, the, the traumatic things we've heard about over these, these last several you know, shows, the things that go on behind, behind, the ba- behind bars and behind the wall, come on. Like, so, it, it's hell on earth to these people. And, and that's why I believe, Bernardo, when I say to you, I appreciate what you're doing, what other organizations are doing out here to lift their voice from behind a wall that people have been silenced purposely that their stories not be told. We're going to tell them here on AJC Radio. Uh, Fernando is going to get out there. He's going to talk to people because guess what? Okay. Seven different seven different okay. prisons not all going through that. Uh, I'm sure, at least, in, and, and I didn't do the time you did, uh, but I'm sure doing your stretch, uh, I saw people uh, who attempted suicide who we got word had killed themselves, and we've seen that. Uh, you said there was some, some and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you on this note uh, <clears throat> explain to us. You said some of the stuff that you saw. I wanted to get a little bit into that. What things, and, I want, and, and, and be straight with us, what are the things yeah. that you saw there while you were fighting for justice or going through this torment, if you will, what things that you see that, that you saw that in your mind were so horrific? It may give you a little well, boost me, to, to, to keep fighting. Go ahead. Yes. Well, for me, I, I mean, <laughs> I saw I saw a lot, and 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 uh, one of the things I'll never forget seeing was just somebody stabbed so fast several times and seeing him just drop to the ground. It's a very very uh, unforgettable experience, you know, just seeing that type of human violence that can be inflicted on somebody, not to mention when someone's face is cut open requiring 150 stitches, you know, these are things that you just never forget when you see a person's, they don't even look like the same person you remember them as, their face is sliced open, you know, and you could just see that from one, one, uh, if it's on the cheek, you could see through the cheek. You know, 
Uh, that's how deep the cut is. And so it, it's just a horrible thing to see that, to see someone stabbed, to see someone cut with a razor that's been smuggled in. I mean, what is a razor even doing in prison like that? And, you know, these things are just smuggled in along with other weapons, but not to mention weapons that are made. So it's a survival because a weapon for some people is almost like having a ballistic missile in that, you know, when you have a war, that's something that you can use it to, to end, to end a, a fight. You know, cause right. So it, it's just a difficult situation, you know, where you're watching this and you don't forget it. You know, to watch someone burned in their cell and hear their, hear their screams is something you don't forget. These are things that I, that I witnessed, that yes. I heard while I, while I was incarcerated hearing this thing, hearing a person scream getting burned in their cell. That's not that's not the type of stuff that, you know, a person, an innocent person yes. or anyone in prison should be exposed to. I mean, if you're there, you're there. Uh, you're innocent. It's worse, yes, but anyone in prison should not be subjected to that, that type of violence. No, absolutely right. And, and, this, and, and, and these things uh, that we see, it's hidden from, from, the, from the public. Most people that yes. don't hear about this stuff, uh, without people like yes. you, I know, uh, being a voice and say, look, I saw this. I heard a man yes. screaming death in his cell because he was being burned to death. I heard, I saw a man's face not even recognizable. Yeah. What, what, but the, the, the favorite statement out of the mouth of officers at prisons, and I'm not putting them all in the same boat. You've got some decent officers out there. Uh, but for those who have become rogue, I've heard him say, we're about the safety and security of this facility. Well, how's, man, how's half of a man's face gone? Can somebody explain that? How is half of a man's face gone from being shanked to death on the yard? How? If you're about safety and security? We have so many days, so many just sound good statements. But the reality is, that's not what it is. Ronald Keith Williamson was exonerated from death row in Oklahoma after serving nine years in prison for a rape and murder that he did not commit. After his release, he has endured mental health problems, has been unable to hold down a job, and now lives in a group home in Oklahoma. The state has made no effort in his case to ease the burden of his circumstances. Listen to this nonsense. He received nothing more than the standard $50 check that all inmates in Oklahoma receive upon release. You want to help me? With that? Can anybody help wow. me? Fifty can help you. Fifty dollars. Go ahead, Fernando. I can because I know that in New York State the comparison has already been made on the show in, in that for those who are guilty they receive more help upon getting out than those who are innocent and you know, and get out at, by via exoneration. So that happened to me in that because I was innocent and I got exonerated, the state no longer felt that it had to give me anything. No no, uh, no health care, no mental evaluation to help me, you know, against, the, against what I would learn was post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, so I know, I know that there's a, a desperate, desperate amount of problems that are going on here in terms of the contrast type of help. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, the, the, for this for this gentleman to get out of what he got out of and not to get anything is also shameful of the state of Oklahoma to do that absolutely. because every everywhere where an innocent person gets out, there should be an immediate fund 
to help this innocent person, especially if they got out by way of judicial decree or right. judge's orders. That's it. At that point, if they're out, they should they should receive the help. My solution to this problem, if I, if I had a way, I would say that to collect from the parking tickets that are collected and are overdue, especially from rogue countries and places uh, where, where, they, where they, you know, where they, they collect all these tickets in the diplomatic community and, and so forth, they should collect all that extra fund, all that extra money and put it together for the innocent. So when they get out, they at least get some help on, con- on, on condition that they manage it appropriately. Absolutely. And, there's, and the, you know what? There's money to do that. There's money to – again, it takes me back. Yeah. People do not care. If you are in prison, if you are in county jail, county jail is the processing unit of where you are upon an allegation. I've been convicted of anything. On this yeah. show, for we've done we how many people we talking oh. about who were killed in custody in county jail, abused by officers, oh, by deputy yeah. sheriffs. Oh, yeah. Now, whether you're oh, yeah. innocent or guilty. I didn't get a death sentence because somebody accused me of something. I didn't get a death penalty because I was accused of having marijuana or drugs. When I entered county, I haven't been convicted. And even convicted, the judgment levied out time that I was going to have to lose as a result of whatever guilt that that was for whatever inmate that might be. I didn't get the death penalty because I didn't pay it. We talked about the guy in Texas who was cooked to death in a building because they refused to turn the air conditioning on, refused him to have commissary to buy a fan. He died in a oven at, a, I believe it was 100 and what, 144 degrees. Mm-hmm. He died of, of cardiac arrest. Wow. So this problem is a problem. Mr. Williamson says here, he received nothing more than that $50, was so depressed while he was in prison, tried to hang himself, and now reports that he sometimes has flashbacks. Where's the mental health for this man? Where's the reaching out to say this man was wrongfully convicted? You took his mind. You took everything from him. And now he's out here with nothing? And you want to sit back and think your apology means something? This man has nothing, and he's flashing back about hanging himself. Mm. I believe we have a call. Is that, is, that, is that right? Yeah, we have Antonio Day is on the line. And, uh, Antonio, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, you're live. Yes, um, go ahead and join in in the conversation. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello, Antonio. We're having a conversation uh, in regards to, of course, the voice of the innocent, we appreciate you calling in tonight. Um, and we're talking to Fernando uh, uh, Bermudez, who's, who's really shedding some light on some of this stuff that we're talking about. Of course, we started having that conversation with you last week, um, and mm-hmm. we appreciate again what you have what you've done as we talk about this system and um, what Fernando has suffered. 18 years, uh, he was locked up. Uh, and he is, I tell you, his, his story is compelling, has really uh, gripped our listeners tonight. What we're going to do really quick, Fernando, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you yes. uh, an opportunity for your closing thoughts on this show. I'm going to invite you to come back on Thursday. This sub- conversation will continue. We'll talk about that offline. But we're going to take a quick break, come right back, uh, get your closing thoughts. And, Anton, we're going to pick it up there from you. 
for the for the final segment of this show, and we're going to get into discussion. Okay, would that work for both of you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it works. All right. This is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall. The voices of the innocent continues. We'll be right back. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, How do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. 
Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. We know you care. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. You know, tonight has been a tough one, as they all are, when you talk about the abuse behind the wall. We search for answers. We search for solutions. But as a society, in reality, nobody cares. From the moment you get handcuffed, taken to a holding cell in county jail. You are less than an animal. And that's where the abuse starts. Talking about Mr. Williamson, wrongfully convicted, leaves Oklahoma with $50 and nothing else. A man that at the point of suicide, while on the inside wrongfully, tried to hang himself twice he gets out that feeling of isolation and that nobody cares and that I'm alone and I have nothing brings suicide into a much clearer reality. We as a nation must be held accountable. And I'm saddened tonight by this abuse. The opportunity to talk to Fernando Bermunez has been much more enlightening to me than I can even put into words. I'm sure to our listeners as well and his story of courage and what he has done and what he does now to be the voice for the voiceless. 
Mr. Fernando, I salute your efforts and your advocacy. Whether you intended to do that or not, you have become an advocate uh, for those behind the wall. We appreciate your voice. Thank you. I'm happy to be here again. And, of course, uh, Antoine, your um, your story that we heard last week, and we're going to get into conversation uh, for the last segment of this show with you again, uh, for the exonerate band out here playing music uh, as a, by, by men uh, who were all wrongfully convicted that came together to bring music to those and, and those and to encourage those that have lost their way somehow in a system that does not care. But before I get to you, Antoine, I'd like to get, Fernando, get your closing thoughts. Uh, what can we do? What can our listeners do to get involved with your organization? How do we and how does AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization join in the effort with you to do whatever we can to support uh, your fight for justice? Well, I'm just basically, basically, I've been so involved with my son now with the homeschooling and everything that that I'm just like on the on, on the outskirts now, just for the moment, at least until I can recover with this failed system that has 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 hurt my son as well. However, I am on the social media, uh, you know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook under Fernando Exoneree and professional public speaker, you know, Twitter as well. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, they could reach out to me on those formats, look me up and, uh, you know, definitely begin a conversation and so forth about criminal justice. But, but I'm here in the spirit. That's why I appeared again. And I'm definitely I'm happy you got my man, Antoine. I know Antoine's <laughs> a good guy. I'm sure he he got a, a equally compelling story as well to share. But I'm just here for y'all. Just know, and I'm I'm just happy that you're continuing with the voice for the voiceless in many many yeah. places behind the world. Thank you, sir. Okay, and Fernando, we're going to be in touch offline. It just calls agency radios involved with community outreach things all the time. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more in detail about that. And, and it takes a village to build a community. It takes a village of people coming together uh, to make a difference. And uh, you always have a voice here on AJC Radio when you, uh, and I, I like what you said, I have to recover from the abuse that I've taken. And I, I, I appreciate that. And, and we will definitely, uh, I believe, uh, in future endeavors, we'll work together to make a difference and to hopefully change this nation and criminal justice. I appreciate you so much tonight. Uh, very uh, Hello and, and, and good luck to your son, what you're doing with him and your wife. We wish you all well uh, in this time. Thank of recovery. You. you deserve that. Believe that. You deserve as much peace as you can get and happiness. So uh, we salute you on that as well. Okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and behind me is always my wife who always keeps me strong. I tell you that. If it wasn't my wife, I wouldn't have the strength I have. Thank you. Thank you so much, and we appreciate her as well. You guys have a good rest of the evening. Thank you, sir. Bye. Thank you. And uh, there you have it, Fernando uh, Bermudez. Um, Boy, he's been through it. 18 years of his life taken. And he says, you know what? He needs a little R&R, a little relaxation and uh, recreation from that abuse that he suffered. I'm so happy for him and, 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 and what he's doing to be a voice. Uh, Antoine, are you still with us? Uh, yes, you're with us? I'm right here. Okay, Antoine, thank you so much for your patience tonight as we have uh, this show has taken a, a really a turn uh, really of outrage, to be honest, in a good way. Uh, indignation, if you will, 
uh, from what we're hearing. Uh, and then Fernando says he knows who you are. So, Antoine, we talked a little bit last week um, uh, uh, about your situation, uh, just as compelling as Fernando's and, and uh, uh, what you have endured as a result of a system that failed. We're really happy to know about the exoneree ban. That was, uh, I thought that was such a positive thing. Uh, that people have the state of mind after such abuse uh, to come together and collectively do something positive. I salute you for that and your efforts and what you're doing with that as well. Um, tell Thank us a little bit. Yes, Antoine, tell us a little bit. We talked a little bit about wanting to hear from you on some of the horrific things. This is a question that I asked Fernando. I'm going to pose it to <laughs> you, that if you had to pick mm-hmm. situations and things that happened to you behind the wall, again, you were innocent. Uh, what, what stood out to you, things that you saw or went through yourself personally uh, as a result of being innocently locked up, if you will, behind the wall? What's some things that have left an impact on your heart? Well, uh, like Fernando, you know, uh, I can start with I was, I was jumped on by maybe six or seven security guards, you know, because he said I didn't move fast enough. And, uh, I mean, abused physically, emotionally, and mentally every day. Uh, my family being mistreated when they come on a visit. This is just in the county jail, not even to the penitentiary as of yet. But um, I've been I've been stabbed in the penitentiary. I've been in numerous of uh, riots, uh, to no fault of my own. Just things break out, and you just got to survive it. Right. Um, like Fernando, man, and, and and yeah, let me say to that brother, you know, that's a very very great young man, and that son of his is going to be a greater young man because with the dad he has, he has tenacity. And that brother, man, has put his whole heart in trying to help change other people's lives. Even though he is suffering what he's suffering, that's how we repair ourselves, by reaching back and giving back to society of people who really don't understand what you go through. So I want to applaud him yes. in and, and, and saying that. And, 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 and as well as you guys, because this platform is so needed, because there hasn't been really any other things that you give an exoneree an opportunity to, to voice his life situation as it stands and as it stood as far as being in, in prison. But when you talk about the horrific things, you know, you get up in the morning going to visit your family. And you sail next to you, you see a young man who's hung himself, who's hung himself at 4 o'clock a.m. just because he can't take it anymore because he knows the door's going to rule at 6 and he's faced with another day of, of hell in this situation. I, I've seen that so much to where I never thought about taking my own life, but I've thought about how do I get this over with? How do I go out here in this yard and make this God shoot me to rid me of my misery? How do I do this? How do I go out here and say, hey, man, I had enough. I got to do something to make this man shoot me. And he's definitely going to shoot you. Yeah. I couldn't bring myself to hurt myself. But I was so in so much pain. You know, I was in so much, I mean, and, and, and my life was ruined, man, you know. And that's one of the things that I know your, your talk show has. It helped us repair one another because when guys can talk about it, you can make some change. You can right. get some responses from people who can say, hey, man, I heard you on a talk show. Like I told a young lady, send me a check. Mm-hmm. Send me a check and wrote a beautiful, you know, and I took a picture of this check. 
And this check is going to forever be in life after justice because this is what it takes. It takes a kind heart to realize that things are going on in this country that we don't understand. And how do we learn about it? And you know, so that's those are some of the things that I, I suffered being incarcerated. And and I think the heavy side of that, Antoine, is this to me. This is very emotional. When you say to me, this is a human being here. He never should have been locked up. And you say to me, I step on the yard trying in some way to do anything that will cause that guard to pull the trigger because I can't continue this. To our listeners, do you have any comprehension here of what our system has done? I mean, Antoine, when you say, I, didn't, I, I would never take my own life, but what can I do that somebody will do it for me is equally as, as in, unjust. It's equally horrific. The fact that I have to even think about that in my mind, leaving that cell, how can this stop today? Blows my mind. And if any society can sit back and say, well, that's just the way it is, you don't have a heart. You're not human. You don't understand. But because the society has said, if you go to jail, if you go to prison, throw them away. They don't count anymore. That's the same. And throw away the key. Yeah. They don't matter. <laughs> somebody comes on the news and says, well, somebody died at a riot at a prison today. It's being investigated. Next story. A sale on Cheerios at your local grocer. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Where you should be troubled that a riot broke out and someone died. Doesn't matter. You know why? That's what our society has done. They don't matter. Their voice doesn't matter. Their life doesn't matter. Their family's life don't matter. You understand? That's why we. That's why you know the show is so important. And then the guests that we have on here that express and and, and let others know what's truly going on. I mean, because it's just it, it's a sad, sad day uh, in the, in this country. We can we can we can shed some light on. We can start making sure people understand. Hey, come on! You got to get out there and make your voice heard. You got to make people understand that this, this this has to stop. All of this has to stop. And Antoine, um, your efforts—I uh, know you're doing a lot a lot of things uh, to be a voice and to. Let your story be heard. Tell us a little bit how that is going, how that's progressing, uh, and how the other fellows doing uh, in the band. Do they have the same vision that you have, and do they have that same type of drive? I know everybody's story is different, but are you guys? Mm-hmm. I would presume you guys are really pretty much on the same page that we must let our voice be heard. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the, some of the guys said they were going to call in tonight, but definitely they they want their vote. They we, we want to get out, man, and make a difference in our community. Again, I'm, I, I work, I mentor juveniles. I'm a court advocate. Uh, I, I do mentoring programs. I, I, I pick kids up and drop them off. I teach them how to fix bikes, teach them how to work with their hands, 
We teach them the law. We teach them the things you should know when you're being addressed by a police officer. We teach them how to act, how to position yourself, how to make sure your hands are clear at all times. We teach the kids how to be safe, not just how to read a book. See, in our community, it's totally different. In, in, in the community I'm in right now, just today they released 18 young men who was wronged by one cop. Not only had, did he put drug cases on them, he was putting murders on these guys. Some of the guys that's being released now are still in prison because of this one cop. So we have to teach people how to, how to carry themselves, you know, as well as being honorable people, you know, young men and young women. But in this community, we're faced with so many other tragic situations, and yeah. survival skills has to kick in at all times. So I work with BBF Family Services here. We teach, you know, we just started a boxing uh, 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 team here. we teaching the brothers and sisters how to box, and, and, and with that, we're teaching them how to be humble. We teach them how to think, how to move. We also teach them chess. Teach them, you know, we work with them after school programs. We do their homework. These are the things that help us elevate from the inside. This is how, and this is what I've been using to kind of put away the pain I've been feeling. I've been suffering a lot of a lot of uh, uh, situations, and 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 I mean, life happens. We all we all know that life is definitely going to happen. But who are you when nobody's watching? You know, are you crying in your own you know in your own hands? Or you have somebody to support your back? I'm fortunate. I have great people in my life today. You know, I had great people in my life, you know, when, when I got out of prison because they gave him $50. They kept $48.72 of my money. I never saw it. You know, so at least he left there with something. I didn't yeah. even know with a dime. And they put me in the middle of the street in a, on a rainy day. And I stood there in the rain for hours, hours trying to figure out how was I going to get home. But fortunate for me, people knew me, pulled up and, and gave me a lift home. So these the, the 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 system doesn't care about you. They'll spit you up and they'll throw you out. You know, and 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 and, and, and I think it's our duty as as exonerated men and women to reach back and prepare a place for those guys coming home who don't know how to. Right. Who don't understand what it is I need to do. That's what keeps me going. You know, because well, I'm a fighter. You know, well, it's lucky, I'm not Antoine. even in the second round yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, look, <laughs> I salute you, and I have so much respect for you. AJC, AJ Just Call, the organization, respects you for what you are doing, giving back and trying to help these youngsters. And after what, I cannot tell you what that does to my heart. In spite of what has happened, you took the opportunity to make a difference. And, uh, I salute your your efforts. We're brothers and sisters out here working together to try to make a difference, and you'll always have a voice here on ABC Radio without question. In uh, a just cause, we want to work with you, and uh, and when we can mm-hmm. get people together to say, "Hey, look, let's work together. Let's do something." I'm telling you, there's power in numbers. Uh, there's powers and influence in numbers. If people can get on the same page to make a difference, I think what you're doing is to be respected, and we're going to definitely be pushing that out here. Uh, from our viewpoint as well about what you're doing and, and uh we appreciate it. I want to share this story, uh, Antoine, before I let you go. Uh mm-hmm. with you. But it says this a man wrongfully convicted of rape is released from prison. A San Diego man who was falsely accused of raping and pimping 
a 14-year-old girl has been released from prison after a retrial revealed the accuser was not at all who she said she was. Scott Espinoza was facing 35 years uh, behind bars after being convicted of six felonies, including pandering, pimping, and rape by force. ABC 10 News reports. During an interview, Lindsay Peterson told police that she was being held captive in Espinoza's La Mesa apartment. She claimed that 10 men showed up to the apartment, and Espinoza forced her to have sex with all of them, two at a time. The jury was convinced Espinoza was guilty of the charges against him, but attorney Laura Wilson was not. Further investigation revealed that Peterson was not at all who she said she was. She told police she was 14 years old, but she was actually 23 years old at the time and had three children, none of whom were in her custody. All rape charges were dropped against Espinoza. Four days later, he was released from Vista Jail and greeted by his father and friends. Espinoza spent 589 days behind bars for crimes he did not commit. But that was not the worst part. The man revealed that his mother, Brenda, became depressed after his sentencing and committed suicide. Mm. That alone. You think you can just come back? You got this young girl, a woman, just made up a lie. But the, this is what we talk about, Antoine, and to our listeners out there. Collateral damage of injustice. A mother yes. died, took her life for something that never occurred, that never happened, but the stress of it. Yes, he was exonerated, but 589 days of torture to his mother took life. This is why the voices of the voiceless must be heard. This is why. Say, well, he did get out. His mother took her life. We got a lot to think of. We got a lot to do. And uh, Antoine, how can folks get a hold of you? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you back on. I want to bring the exonery ban on this show. And we're going to talk about it offline. Uh, hopefully we can catch up with one another. But how can folks reach you? How do they get involved? How do we get involved uh, to support well, you today? Well, okay, I'm at, I'm at uh, A-Day at bbsfamilyservices.org. Uh, you can contact me there or, or just you can Google me, Face. I mean, Google me on, on Google. I'm all over the Internet now. We all over information about the exonery band. Uh, okay. There's just so many ways, you know. Just they can contact me through you guys. However, okay. I'm, I'm available. You know, I'm available. I love mentoring. I love talking to these kids. So if anybody needs that, I'm here for that. We appreciate you, Antoine. I'll be in touch with you online. Thanks for your voice tonight. We're going to hear more of it. We hope to get, hear you get you back here on the show and your band. Thank you for joining us tonight and taking time out of your evening. Okay, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me. Okay. We'll be in touch with Peace. you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. There you have it, folks. Antoine Day doing some big things out there. Tonight we talked about Voices of the, of the Innocent. That continues Thursday on this program, Voices from Behind the Wall, the Voices of the Innocent. Until next time, good night, America. <laughs>